You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 376. I could be kind of high character. I don't do anything wrong. I don't steal but nobody's trusting me because I'm not clear about where we're headed. A lack of trust is your biggest expense. Without trust, transactions can't occur. Without trust, influence is destroyed. Without trust, leaders lose their people. Trust can be either your most vulnerable weakness or your greatest asset. Hi there, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. You see, I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Each week, we're joined by another successful and inspiring author, and we chat about his or her latest book, and we get their unique insights on things like leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we sit down with David Horsager, author of the new book, Trusted Leader, Eight Pillars That Drive Results. I'm going to ask David to share key steps to building trustworthy cultures, the two most important questions to ask in the midst of a crisis, how you can be a trustworthy person but fail to build a trustworthy business, and lots, lots more. Last week, I published a social media post called Yesterday versus Eight Years Ago Yesterday that seems to have resonated with a lot of people. Uh, Some on Facebook even asked if I could make it shareable. I even emailed my subscribers about it. It occurred to me that you might get some value out of it as well, especially if you find yourself fighting against negative self-talk from time to time. The post begins, Eight years ago yesterday, I was downsized from the last real job I ever had. On the eighth anniversary of that day, I voiced the audio version of my upcoming book. If I'm being honest, writing a book probably could have or maybe should have happened sooner. If I'm being honest, I'd tell you I felt I didn't have it in me. If I'm being honest, I'd admit I felt I wasn't good enough. You know those voices in your head, the ones telling you all those things? I suggest not just refusing to listen to them, but get angry at them. Put your finger in their faces. Punch them in their proverbial throats. Kick them. Beat them into submission. Treat them like the protagonist in your favorite revenge film does the villains, showing no mercy as they avenge the ones they love. That's what it took for me. Maybe that's what it will take for you, too. Just know that you will never finish them once and for all. There will always be a new villain to fight. But do what I do. See it as an opportunity. An opportunity to kick some more negative self-talk butt. (laughs) Now, you may be thinking right now, but Jeff, those voices you're fighting against hold only the power you choose to give them. And there's definitely truth in that. 
I think sometimes the harder we work to fight them, the more we become the reason for having to expend so much energy on them to begin with. So in short, our choices are these. Number one, we can choose to fight with a take-no-prisoners attitude, using every weapon at our disposal to knock our not-so-friendly voices down. Or number two, simply refuse to believe said voices are capable of doing anything but telling us lies about our abilities and our future. The second one is often easier said than done. And as I said before, you'll never completely rid yourself of them. That brings me back to considering the butt-kicking option. It's not any easier necessarily, but offers a level of satisfaction the second option doesn't. Yes, as silly as it sounds, butt-kicking is fun, even when there are no actual butts involved. So let's go kick some negative self-talk butt today. Deal? Maybe that resonates with you. If it does, share with me some of the things you often hear those voices telling you because I want to help slay some of those dragons that you're facing. You can write me at jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. David Horsager is the CEO of Trust Edge Leadership Institute, the national best-selling author of The Trust Edge and The Daily Edge, inventor of the Enterprise of Trust Index, and director of the nation's foremost trust studies, The Trust Outlook. He's advised leaders and given presentations on six continents with audiences ranging from Delta, FedEx, and Toyota to the New York Yankees and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. With his eight-pillar framework, he breaks trust down into tangible steps that can be leveraged right away to build a high-trust culture where everyone can perform at their best. And lucky for us, he's putting this knowledge in books. We love it when people do that. His new book is called Trusted Leader, Eight Pillars That Drive Results. David, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, thank you so much. And thanks for saying it right. Kind of like Facebook. It's not the Facebook. It's not the trusted leader. It's trusted leader. So you got the new book right. A lot of, a lot of people have been getting that one wrong these days, the new book. It, no, it's just trusted leader. Well, I have to admit that when I was originally uh, typing up my notes, I typed it wrong and went back and double checked and realized I'd made a mistake. So thankfully, I was able to correct that before <laughs> getting on here with, with you. One of the things that jumped out at me right away, and I did not know this when I first received the book and went to dive in, that uh, this is sort of part business fable. Talk about the process of, of creating the book that you did, the decision you made to lay it out the way you did with fable and then, and then hitting on the, the pillars. You know, it was very intentional. I had never created a business fable before. Mm -hmm. I do my own writing in my own books. So I don't have all these other people. But on that process of a fable, I did get advice and edits from some of the best fable writers in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was, but I will tell you that I was, that was very intentional from my chief operating officer at the time said, you know, this stuff born in research, the trust edge, we made that applicable to everybody. It was, it's fantastic, but not everybody want, when they pick up a 367 page book, uh, some people don't want to, you know, they, they, they need a quicker shift of thinking around trust. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was part of it, is this, this shift thinking like is trust, oh, trust is just transparency. No, it's not. Some of your kids are so transparent on Facebook. I don't trust them for a second. It's also confidentiality. <laughs> it's like kind of shift thinking about trust and you can do that in a story and show how trust matters more than ever show the value of it in a business and so um you know friends i just talked to blanchard uh, ken blanchard a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago he's big on fables uh lencioni big on fables um what i didn't want to do with fables and it doesn't mean that you know my cheese isn't a good idea it's just it's i always am very known for tactical and actionable mm -hmm. so i i was very intentional about if i'm going to shift thinking in that fable I need to give them a second half of the book that gives them takeaways they can use tomorrow morning. Mm. And, but the big purpose there was more shareable, 
more easy to read the taking really our trust research over 20 some years and boiling it down to this concept that, oh my goodness, I get it. I could use that as a leader. I can mm -hmm. see myself as an entrepreneur needing that. I can see myself as a leader and how that could affect culture. So I think that's the reason of jumping to a story and fable, but that took me work to make it excellent. <laughs> I'm thankful for the reviews that have been over the top about the fable, but I'm just telling mm -hmm. you that took enormous amount of edits and experts looking at it. I, I, can, I can imagine. Yeah. Very well told story, very cohesive, fun, uh, enjoyable to follow. I, I never got bored throughout uh, the book at all. Uh, and certainly, as you alluded, you instantly see, okay, how could I apply these concepts as you're reading the second? But well, I can go back to the story and see how it was applied there and, and see that first, uh, that, 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 that example, that account. And very, 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 very helpful uh, in applying the concepts and executing on the ideas for sure. Thank you. Um, one thing that jumped out at me too is is sort of this belief and this distinction you make that it, that it's possible to be a trustworthy person but then fail to build a trustworthy business. Talk about that if you would. Well, I think it's in Ethan's case in the book, it's like, well, I'm honest. I mean, and part of it's the definition of trust. Like, is trust just honesty and integrity or not? Turns out, you know, as you know, the eight pillars came out of research. They've been revalidated by uh, universities. This way we build trust, it's a little more than you might think. So I could be a like, I think I'm trustworthy. I think I'm good. I think I've got integrity. I think I've got this. And yet you're not leading the organization the right way because as an example, one of the pillars is clarity. So I could be honest and all this, but people trust the clear and mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. Well, I'm, I, I could be kind of high character. I don't do anything wrong. I don't steal, but nobody's trusting me because I'm not clear about where we're headed. I mean, it's the same with you take that one same concept to a classroom. This teacher is is compassionate. They're kind, they're character, mm. but continually this teacher is not clear about the assignment. So everybody hates the teacher, right? <laughs> because of a, a lack of clarity. And we know clarity is one way that trust is built. Mm, yeah. Well, one of my mentors says clarity attracts, confusion repels. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. One of my favorite quotes from the book says, what do you know how to do today that you had no idea about a year ago? Uh, why should we be concerned, David, if we don't immediately have three or four answers to that, to that question? Well, it, it probably means you're not a continual learner and the world is changing and it's changing fast. I mean, this is your podcast is all about this, right? Right. We're learners here. We're learners. But I think there's there's a couple of things. There are still many people that kind of are the same they were 20 years ago. Mm. And we do not trust leaders that are leading the way where they were 20 years ago. We don't trust salespeople that are selling the way they were five years ago. We don't trust uh, uh, you know, teachers in schools that are doing this th things the way they were 10 years ago. You've got to keep fresh, relevant, and capable. That hits the competency pillar, and that's a big problem if we're not staying fresh because the world continues to change, and we need to change, and we need to stay fresh, and we need to – this doesn't mean you can't stay fresh and relevant by reading old books even. Right. But it's just working the mind. And I think of my parents in their 90s. You know, dad started with nothing, no running water, no electricity uh, up in North Dakota, whatever. He built this farm to a multi-million dollar farm and, and uh, over a thousand acres and whatever. And they are, re I saw them reading. I saw them learning. Certainly character was a part of why that became successful. But mm -hmm. another reason was they kept trying things and failing even. They, okay, let's try sunflowers here. Oh, that doesn't work up here in Northern. Let's try this irrigation. Let's try that. And now it's a, it's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful, amazing farms in its area. And they don't see the learning and failures along the way. 
Well, yeah, when it comes to to this sort of mindset, you mentioned reading. You also talk in the book about mentorship, the importance of mentors. And one thing I haven't really seen anybody talk about in the context of organizations is is mastermind groups. When I think of mastermind groups, I, I'm in one. I'm in a couple actually, mm-hmm. and 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 it's generally people from different walks of life, different companies, different backgrounds. Talk about mastermind groups in the context of a single organization. Right. So two things here. Number one, masterminds are famous with entrepreneurs. Mm. Okay. But I even kind of learned it before I ever heard of it as a mastermind. We call it an accountability group. So 28 years ago, more than that now, in college, I started meeting with a group of guys. That's the dedication of the book is to those guys and to another mastermind group of, of four guys that I'm in. They changed my life. They made me a better dad, a better leader, a better father. Uh, and we still meet, by the way. 28 mm. years later, those wow. four guys still meet. I'm going to see one of them right after our podcast for for his uh, birthday lunch. So we're all leading different organizations. So the, the, the monumental importance of a mastermind where people that you know have your back will also get in your grill and say, you got, you might want to change that. You got to know, do you need to know this? So there's, there's this balance of deep love, but truth telling and accountability. That's valuable. How do we set that in a company? It's not quite as easy as college friends becoming, you know, the, the through life, but we can set mastermind groups. And there's, there's a couple different ways. And I talk about this in the book, but, but basically ongoing mastermind groups around this, like the newest agile IT, whatever, let's keep this matter. Every lunch, Mm. every Tuesday lunch or last Thursday of every month lunch. And we just meet around this topic and we share, what are you learning? What are you learning? What are you learning? That's one way. Another way can be different topics. So it's different people. You just come and go because some people get overwhelmed with process. Like, oh, we got to create a whole new mentoring system in our organization. (laughs) Simplify it. You can be mentored in one session. And that's the same with masterminds. Systemizing it is good, but there are ways to do it simpler. And either way, I mean, we get better from that. And you can set it in companies that really can sharpen people. Is it safe to say that these men you've known for nearly 30 years and been a part of a mastermind group with were the inspiration for Tripper and Pete and Ethan and the gang? There's a lot of that truth in there. <laughs> you can you can see that. So there's, there's an inspiration of those four guys. Uh, Maya is an inspiration from my wife and how amazing she is. Uh, that boardroom scenario that happened when the lowest level person on the leadership team, a young lady, had the guts to tell the truth, and that changed everything for a real company that I was consulting in, and I watched this happen. So I was actually at the front of that boardroom. The CEO was at the back. I was leading the discussion, but I turn it around and have it be Ethan at the front in the story. Mm. But yes, that was a real, All there's a lot of inspiration from realness. <laughs> well, let's get to some of the nuts and bolts here. Talk about some of the key steps to building a trustworthy culture, you know, kickstart it. Where do we, where do we begin? If I don't, if you don't mind, I, I think we need to get the case for trust for two minutes. Sure. Just because some people think before they even care about how to build it, they think it's a mamby-pamby soft skill. When I started the research, now everybody's talking about trust. The world is more human. But you think back 20 years ago, I had to argue the case. Right. My research became maybe famous in a little sliver of the world because of that argument of showing how a lack of trust is genuinely the biggest cost for organizations and people. And I guess just to start people thinking about that, if you think trust is just a soft skill, without the research, you can see, hey, a lack of trust costs. Look, uh, if I don't trust you, I put a lock on something. What's the cost? Well, I got to buy the lock, but the big cost is time. Now I got to open it or text someone you trust. Boom, it's done. Now text someone you don't trust. Oh, how long is that going to take? How are you going to do that? You know, it costs time. So right. I will say it this way to just get people 
understanding the impact because I believe this to my core. You know, we work on six continents. I've been on six, but we have certified trusted advisors on six continents. And it's trust is always the leading indicator and the root cause. Everything else lags. Sales lag, retention lags. Even the new net promoter score or referrals. You don't get referrals with referrals. Research shows you only get referrals when you increase trust. You don't get sales unless you increase trust. So when I say this, what I mean? I'll say it's never a leadership issue. What do I mean? The only reason you follow a leader or not is trust, unless it's a dictator, which isn't a leader. It's not a sales issue. The only reason you buy or not is trust, unless it's a commodity. Innovation only goes up when people trust each other and they share ideas. Marketing is only amplified one way when we increase trust in the message. So uh, even the diversity issues of our day, the biggest Harvard study shows diversity on its own can pit people against each other unless you increase trust. The uh, learning only increases in a classroom when you increase trust in the teacher, the content, or the psychological safety or the room, you know. So you have to see this trust issue. And frankly, this was a motivation, not to take us off track, but a motivation of the book. We kept seeing the data and we we do the, you know, this significant global study every year. Trust Outlook, it's free to anybody. They can go to the research page, trustoutlook.com if you want it, uh, the white papers at least. And we kept finding the number one reason people want to work for an organization, especially on the North American side of the study, number one reason ahead of more pay, ahead of a more fun work environment with a ping pong table, (laughs) they want to trust their leadership. And we kept seeing people either want to be trusted leaders or they want to follow trusted leaders. So I just want to give a glimpse of the case. So you're not just people aren't just saying, well, trusted leaders, you know, whatever. You know what? Trust is the leading indicator. We've used this to drive sales up triple. We've used it to drive re- you know, retention up, attrition down. I use some of this, I talk about it in there, to lose 52 pounds in five months in 2011 and keep it off. So mm. this work is transformative. It transformed me. That's why I'm so passionate about it. But we're using it in global governments and corruption issues, pro sports teams and companies. But I want people to get the grit and not the softness of trust. So we can get into the pillars, but... Thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's great. I'm so glad you laid that groundwork because I don't want anybody to miss what comes next now. And that's kind of how to kickstart this this process. So a couple of ways we can look at it, but I guess we what we need to understand is the framework. And you know, while I wish it was three points in a poem like a good speech, maybe it's (laughs) you know, it's eight traits that came out of the research. I call them pillars in the book, and they're denoted by eight C words. That doesn't mean they're cheesy motivation. This is denoting areas of research, research funnels that represent you have to do these things to build trust. So to be a real trusted leader or gain the trust edge in the way we talk about it, these eight. So, I mean, I can talk about each of them all day. There's takeaways for each of them, but to understand them just in context, here they are. People trust the clear. They mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. Number two is compassion. They trust those that care beyond themselves. We have a hard time being accountable to someone or following someone that doesn't have any care beyond themselves. Number three is character. We trust those that do what's right over what's easy. And there's a framework for it. Even in books, by the way, people are, oh, you learn all your character by 12 years old. No, some companies are systemized against it. We had a bank here in Minnesota that lost billions of dollars because their sales incentive program incentivized the lack of character they said they wanted to have. So uh, mm. same with the bribery issues we're dealing with in East Africa. You've got to change the incentives if you want to change that, that pillar maybe in a company. Next pillar, don't think character is everything. I did mm. before I started the research, but I might trust Jeff to take my kids to the ball game because of his character. 
and not trust him to give me a root canal no, because no. of his competency, right? So this is the pillar you are, one of the pillars you're really strong on, competency. Mm. We've got to stay fresh, relevant, and capable, and competent in the area we want to be trusted. Mm. That reading can be a part of that. Next pillar is commitment. We trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. If you think of people that have left a legacy in your life or history, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, it's, mm. it's somebody that was, you know, they, they were trusted because they were committed to something beyond themselves. Next pillar is connection. This is really a connection and collaboration. People that are willing to connect and collaborate, we tend to trust. So if I see siloing in, in an organization, I know I've got a counterforce to this pillar. Next pillar is contribution. Think of it this way, contributor of results. The, the number one word that came out of this research funnel was results, mm. performance, outcome. So you've got to contribute results. If I'm going to trust you, you can have compassion, but uh, in amputation, you cut off the wrong leg. You didn't contribute the right results. I might not trust you as a surgeon. So <laughs> final pillar is consistency. Mm. We trust sameness for good or bad. The only way to build a reputation is consistency. The only way to build a brand is consistency. Sameness is trusted for good or bad. If you're late all the time, mm. I will in fact trust you to be late. <laughs> That's the eight pillar framework. That is mm. a glimpse and we can go anywhere you want with those mm. and go deeper on how to use them. But you have to understand that any one of these, they overlay each other because you could say, well, I got that clarity one. I was clear at the annual meeting about the vision. Well, you know what? You're losing clarity mm. because if you're not leveraging consistency and if you're not sharing the vision every 21 days, at least probably 14 days now, nobody's making decisions by it. So you lost clarity because you don't have consistency. Well, we got commitment. We show commit. Well, because you're not showing compassion to your people, they're not committed to you. So they overlay each other. There's ways to contextualize them globally. It's not as hard as it sounds in a quick interview today. Here, but mm. it's actually a simple framework, actionable framework. But I do believe one more thing here. I do believe you can solve every organizational leadership issue against these eight without ego. And the, the research mm. shows. So in fact, when you solve against these eight, you're solving the real issue. So people say, mm. well, you got a communication issue. Ladies and gentlemen, you never, <laughs> ever, ever have a communication issue. Clear communication is trusted. Clarity. Unclear isn't. Compassion is. Hateful isn't. High character is low character isn't so. Mm. There's a glimpse. Yeah, and and it, and as the fable illustrates, it's possible to to begin when maybe the company is small, getting many of these right, and then grow at a speed with which you begin to neglect these without realizing it. Right. I have that same issue in my own organization. I have mm. to go admit it. And the boardroom is uh, you know <laughs> 20 feet from where I am right here, and. Uh, I, I, this week said, I'm sorry, you, you guys know I preach this stuff and I was not good on clarity last week or I wasn't good, at, you know, and, mm. and we all have deficiencies when we close those gaps on these pillars. That's when we gain the greatest advantage. So, mm. uh, and we, we all have it, you know, it, it's kind of funny when I speak at big events and I'm, you know, the back afterwards signing books and I'll have people come up to me. Oh, I love this trust stuff. This trust stuff. So it's, it's, I really agree. It's so good. My boss should have been here. You know, my, my spouse should have been. My teenagers need this stuff. They should have been here. Well, you know what? They're not. We all can use it. In fact, I teach it and I need it every day. Yeah. And just practicing it. I mean, that's that's got to rub off on people, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I hope so. I, I mean, I love my team and I love what we're doing. And, I, you know, there's case studies now that we, we we're I, I'm really proud of some of the organizations we work with. You can't go in a a clinic or a building or some of these, everything from massive organizations to small ones. But I'm thinking of one in my mind right now. You can't go in any of their clinics and not feel trust edge. And that's mm. fun. Not everyone's perfect, but they understand the language. And when you said kickstart it, you know, we, we got to see the root issue is trust. Mm -hmm. We've got to understand this eight pillar framework, and then we've got to solve against it. 
it's fun when you see that happen because it wor- it's working. Well, let's assume that our business is in crisis mode. We've got a major problem to solve. How might we attack that crisis with, with these concepts in mind? So first of all, that is awesome because <laughs> your fastest opportunity to build trust is not in first interaction with someone. It's in crisis. Mm. When was George W. Bush the most trusted as president? His ratings were the highest the week after Mm 9-11. The way you come across in a crisis. So if people are throwing chairs in boardrooms and swearing at you, you have incredible opportunity (laughs) to increase trust Mm. or lose it faster than any other time. Mm. You got a client or a customer that's ticked off how you respond in their crisis. You have an incredible opportunity to build trust. People think, oh, there's no even chance with this person. There's a massive chance to build trust. So number one, you have a a big opportunity. Number two, I might, I mean, there's so much I could say here, but I guess I would would jump to an idea around rebuilding trust because Mm. obviously if you have a crisis, one possibility is that you've lost trust. And people think trust is rebuilt in the apology. And it never is. Okay. There's a 10-step process if you're a big company with an oil spill, but whether you're a big company or an individual, it comes down to one thing. It doesn't mean you don't need to give a, a sincere apology to open the door of communication, but the only way to rebuild trust is making and keeping a new commitment. Mm. You had a crisis, make and keep a new commitment. Think about this. I got people that come in, I'm sorry I'm late. No, you're not. You're late every day. Until you make it, it, the the apology didn't build trust, the new commitment built trust. So mm-hmm. that's that's one idea. There are a whole lot more in crisis. Basically, what we would say is you need to amplify these pillars. So mm-hmm. as an example, we agree with Collins who says if you have more than three priorities, you don't have any. Mm-hmm. In crisis, you better boil down to one. Mm-hmm. We say ninety day quick plans are really valuable in a normal cycle. A year is too long for most strategy. 90 days is much better. 21 days is too short. People think they can change a habit in 21 days. That's Mm. actually pretty skewed research, but 90 days is a sweet timeframe. However, Mm. in crisis, you might have to bring it down to a weekly priority. So everything you might just need to amplify in times of speed and crisis. Mm. And in the book, I appreciated the way you pointed out the two very, very simple questions that you need to ask in the midst of crisis. Can you share a bit about how you came to that? Yeah. Well, basically, in essence, when I'm, I was talking to a CEO friend of mine that was doing well in the pandemic, actually, that was a late put in the book. The first mm. editions didn't have it. I just put it in because in the pandemic, I was asking, it was early on the pandemic. We just put that in right before it went to practically to publish. But I, I was talking to a friend of mine, CEO from um, a great med tech company, Bobby Herrera. He went through the, the U.S. War College in the 1980s. Mm. And uh, he said, well, what's working for me is something I learned in the War College. VUCA, V-U-C-A. And some of you might have heard this way of thinking about it before, but V stands for volatility, U stands for uncertainty, C stands for complexity, and A stands for ambiguity. Mm. So in times of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, said we always we learn in the work college to ask, ask two questions. We knew there would be complexity. He even said, you know, I learned to jump out of helicopters onto the sand in America. But when I did it the first time in Afghanistan, it just was different. <laughs> and many people in times of crisis or war or whatever, they stand up and get shot, so to speak, even, right? Mm. They, they react quickly, mm. okay? And he said, what we learned to do is just pause, in those times, just pause for a moment even and ask these two questions. I'll say them his way, even though I kind of tweak them for the book, but what can I control and what should I do first? And the problem that I saw is that I walked next to presence of countries and companies over the last, you know, the pandemic years is basically many people spent their time in the crisis talking about 
thinking about using all their brilliant brain calories on things they could not control. Mm. Oh, the election, this, not, not that you don't need to know, but oh, the pandemic, that the vaccine, this, the blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and it, frankly, it's, it's, it's good to know what's going on, Sure, but you need to spend most of your calories saying, but what could, in all this, what could I control? And when those leaders that did that, they found out, wow, I can control a whole lot more than I ever thought. So of all these overwhelming things, what one thing should I do first? Going back to the, the one priority. And clarity, you know, gives hope, right? right? It's just like when I lost the weight, it's like, I can't do all these things. In fact, if someone tells me I can't ever have ice cream again, I'm not going to do it. But if I, I can do this thing, mm. okay, I can do this thing, you know, it, that a clear thing that you can do gives hope. Mm. Well, let's let's assume we've read the book, we've finished the book. What might be some of the next steps moving forward in, in ways that we might be able to continue following along with you? Well, yeah, I'm not here to pitch anything, but I will say we have a host of, of free and complimentary resources. We also mm. have a way to get certified in this work. You know, So if anyone wants to get certified as a TrustEdge certified coach or TrustEdge certified facilitator or consultant, we have an incredible platform and community where people are using it in companies to drive trust where people can perform at the best mm. and they're using it to you know as an independent coach and so if you want to see if even a free demo on that I, you know I, w- I actually didn't ask for this ahead but with the lead in here it would just be <laughs> trustedgecoaching.com and you could go through a demo with Gabe or Sam and they could show you it's a whole different way of looking at coaching and helping people. So mm. trustedgecoaching.com, grab a free demo if that's interesting. Otherwise, just LinkedIn is my number one where I am the most. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, davidhorsager.com, if you can spell that, I'll see you there. Otherwise, <laughs> just, you know, trustedge.com is the is the overall company. And you can go to see research. You can see where I'm speaking. You can get a lot of free resources, trustedge dot com mm. is a is an easy central place to go anywhere you want to go. A couple of hundred videos on YouTube that give just I jump right into giving tips and takeaways people can use. So I don't know if that's what you want. I hope it is. <laughs> that's fantastic. Very, very helpful. Anything with the book that I didn't cover that you want to make sure we know? I think that I gave a glimpse of the case for trust. Mm. I gave a glimpse of the eight pillar framework. One thing I'm known for is this taking research and making it usable tomorrow morning. Mm. So I think that's a, a really cool thing that you can go in the second half of the book and you can learn the the how, how, how methodology to get clear. You can learn the ODC process. You can do a trust shield. I mean, all mm. these activities are things you can use that are really can be very powerful. So that would be one thing. And and the, the last thing you know I might say is, you know, like I learned on the farm growing up, my dad would say, yeah, now you got to do the work. Mm. That pile doesn't shovel itself. The hay bales <laughs> don't bale themselves and the corn doesn't cultivate itself. You got to do the work. <laughs> and that is the problem with trust. People believe in it. Mm. They value it. They say, but it takes work to build trust every day. You're mm. losing it every day with everyone you know, except for intentionally building it. So it, it takes work, but it's work that's worth it because it's the most valuable asset you can have as a leader or organization. Mm. Well, David, I know you had some great examples of readers in your life. How has the habit of reading consistently and intentionally played a role in your success? I'll tell you some of those stories, but I'll say how it directly impacted this work first. Mm. I'm compared to some other people that are better known, even though I might have been earlier on trust research. And when I was doing it, there was very few researching it to any level at all. Mm. But there are some kind of big names now that have kind of gotten into it a little bit or, or a lot. And people say after they see me like, well, you're so passionate about it. You're so, what's the difference with you is, and you've got this research to back it up and this and that. And I think that's attributed to 
that I did the research myself, mm. that I write my books, that I'm involved in it. It's not their ghostwriter on this and the person doing that. It's like I'm involved. I'm seeing transformation happen in companies and organizations. And that was examples of people doing ahead of me. So a couple of those examples on this reading front, my grandma in her later years was known for reading a book a day. Wow. Now she read every book in two, yes, smaller libraries in wow. North Dakota and Minnesota. <laughs> but um, she read every book and then she'd go back and like, there's no more books here. I got to go back and read again. <laughs> she was an amazing woman. And when I would go see her in her little trailer house, bike over on the dirt road mm. to fish at the river by her house out in the middle of the poorest county in Minnesota, in the middle of nowhere, she would always be reading. In her later years, to read a book a day is a lot. One, you got to probably be a little bit of a speed reader. And two, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's when you don't have a lot of other things. Mm. But once you were there as a human, that book turned over and you were the most important thing in the world. And mm. it wasn't just me, the grandchildren, <laughs> anybody. And people would go by her house mm. because she was such a great listener and lover of people and so humble. I think one thing that happens with reading, people think for a time, at least people when I was around professors and, and one kind of, you know, it's mm -hmm. like for a time, you think you kind of know it all. So arrogance <laughs> goes up. And once you read a little bit more, Humility starts to go up because you realize you really don't know that much. And even though you've read more than anyone else, you've actually become a better listener, maybe. Mm. So that was one example. Another example in my life currently, my, my parents, by the way, were readers, even though we're farming and all that. They, mm. At night and in the evening, they're sitting, they're reading. And our house is full of books. She, my dad used to say something like, if you go into a home and there's nothing to read or no books, because we never had the TV on. I mean, mm. that was one. The TV was not, not valued. But that example to me, and I was going to say my brother, my, I've got you know five siblings, but my brother just older than me, who I'm very close to, he reads a book a week about. That's his kind of goal, at least. Mm. If you go into his place, I mean, it's a stack of books. It's a little messy, but man, is he learning. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so those are examples. My wife you know, is an educator and loves to learn. I, mean, I, I think there's, a, there's many examples. And you've, I'm sure people on the show have talked about Buffett and all these other great people leaders, but when you have them in your own life, it becomes tangible. Oh, wow. That's great. That's great. And I love the paradox that you laid out there of how your humility grows as you read more. You do get smarter, but you also realize the extent of what you don't know. Right. And I do think it helps you to become a better listener. That was very well, well said. I may steal that. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> I, my, my book was plagiarized too. So what else oh, you want no. to steal? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you to recommend a book or two. What are, what are one or two that you, you generally like to recommend or maybe even go back to yourself from time to time? Yeah, there are so many. So this maybe I can't, I can't ever say this is my top of. I'm just like, this is top of mind right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to turn around. I just looked at this bookshelf and I told you the bookshelf in my office is my small, smaller mm -hmm. bookshelf. But I'm going to grab a couple right here. This is Excellence Wins by Horst Schultze. Mm. It's a fairly new book. And I just, um, it, it, it's, he's a humble guy. He's the guy that started, uh, well, founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels. And then he founded the next, basically, a hotel that's twice as expensive, <laughs> hotel system. Won the top hotel in the world last year in Bali. And there's a few of them, but it's, I, I think it's called Capella. Uh, I'd like to stay there sometime. But basically... Mm. He is, you wouldn't think, just how to really serve people. I mean, it, this is a very, very, very good book mm. from a person that's really done it and cares about it. So I could even, I can give you a re book report on this because it's <laughs> top of mind right now. I, I picked this one off the shelf because this was James Garlow. He wrote Tested by Time. There are some really character truths from this one. And this is an older one, but to go back to it, I can see 
I think my wife gave it to me Christmas of 02. Mm. So I probably read it a long time ago, but I still go back to some things in there. There's several here. Some are more academic, but I pulled this one off because this is a friend of mine. Rory Vaden wrote Procrastinate on Purpose. And um, I think he gives a real funnel for how do you do the most important things and actually let other things go? Like there's actually a, a system here that I kind of liked. Uh, this one came out this week and I just started it. He's brilliant guy, Josh Linkner. Big little breakthroughs that drive oversized results. He is an innovative mind. I could give you a lot more, but there's a couple. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, when you mentioned Rory, yeah, we had Rory on the show to talk about that book. Uh, gosh, way back in 2014, I think it was. Yep. He's written a couple other ones since, but I think there's that framework is pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, let me finish by asking uh, what's around the corner for you? What's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and uh, willing to share? You know, one of the big things is this community. So we do we do three big buckets out of our organization. You know, I, I speak about 100 times a year around the world or out of studio. There's a five camera studio 20 yards from me now these days, but I'm I'm flying a lot more again. So we, we do training, speaking, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Then we do measuring trust, so the enterprise trust index and consulting. We do some of that for some of the biggest companies in the world to close gaps and help them become most trusted. I'm most excited about the third bucket which is our community of certified coaches and consultants that are actually taking this work parts of the world. So those, this, it's a really mm. cool community. We have an event every year. We have a monthly call and we have the platform and assets. And I mean, people that are part of that, I mean, the you know, police chief of the city of Las Vegas, the dean of University of Nebraska, Penn State, the, I'll tell you one, you have on six continents, we have uh, certified coaches, but one of them was on the call uh, recently and said, her name's Tia from Indonesia. She said, I use this work with oil and banking executives, and I love it. But I also use it in my volunteer work with girls coming out of sex trafficking to rebuild trust. Oh, wow. That is fun for me. Mm. So these are certified coaches making a difference in their, in their world, trusted certified coaches. And so that's, that's, that community is a big, uh, a big thing I'm excited about growing and um, supporting because we've really got a high touch support. We're not just kind of like, come into this and take a course. It's like, you know, our platform has so much, we're part of this together, you know, mm. they can build their own company with it, but that's been something I've been excited about. I also, whenever I get out of a book, I find I'm like, oh, I want to write again. So I'm kind of, you know, the trusted leader is still fresh off the press. Right. We can have another run at the launch, but uh, those are some things I'm thinking about. Of course, my kids are growing up fast, so I'm always thinking about them too. Well, the books, again, that David has written are Trust Edge, The Daily Edge, and the new one we've been talking about today, Trusted Leader, not the Trusted Leader, remember, <laughs> Trusted Leader, Eight Pillars That Drive Results. His name is David Horsager. David, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and sharing of your expertise and your experience. I really appreciated all you had to say. Jeff, thanks for what you're doing. Several web addresses to keep track of, but never fear. You can find all the resources and links that David mentioned at the show notes page for this episode. I've got that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 376 for episode 376. In addition to spending time last week voicing the audiobook version of my upcoming book called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career, I got an advance review copy in my hands. In fact, I'm literally holding it right now. It's been really exciting to see, uh, to leave through. It's starting to become more real. The book again coming out on August 31st. And you can even pre-order a copy of the book right now for about 40% off. Details to come on a bunch of resources and free stuff that you've received when you pre-order a copy of the book. Find out more at readtoleadpodcast.com slash baker. 
that'll reroute you to my publisher's website where you can get 40% off the book right now. Or for 20 or more copies and using the discount code READ to LEAD, you can get 50% off. Again, that's READ to LEAD podcast.com slash Baker. In the next five to six weeks, we've got a couple of guests making return visits to the podcast, but all of our other four or five guests are brand new, making their first appearance. People like Charles Red, Mike Kim, and Craig LaMasters, among others. In fact, Craig will be here next week to talk about his book, Unstuck. Well, thanks for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. That'll do it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.